Podcast, The Echo Chamber, Episode 4. My name is William Rhoda, and I'll be your host. Today on the show, we're talking to Cheryl Sobey, founding member of Manitoba Animal Save. You might have seen Manitoba Animal Save out at VegFest doing outreach work, or protesting at Maple Leaf on Lash, or done right on Hamlin, or, uh, pardon me, done wrong, as MAS likes to say. Sobey's been seriously involved in activism for over five years. She started multiple save groups and hosted her own FM radio show in Halifax called Vegan Activist Radio. I sat down with Sobey to talk about the save movement, activism as a whole, and veganism in general. I can personally say that I've taken a lot away from my conversations with this woman. Bring an open mind to the table. Maybe you will too. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, so let's just uh, start from the front. Like, how did you get into veganism first off and then activism secondly? All right. Um, well, first, my name is Cheryl Sobey. Um, and I, well, first, hmm, which came first? I think activism came first for really? me, actually. Yeah, because it's really, this is where I trace my kind of activism roots back to. It's when I was 11 and in school, found out about feminism. And then since then, it kind of, my activism grew. And I actually found something that I wrote not too long ago when I was like 13. And I was talking about how I wanted to like, you know, change the world and get active for the environment and, you know, make things better for like women and challenge sexism. So I guess I've been an activist for a long time, actually. Okay. Um, And veganism came to me a little bit later in life. So I actually read a book. um, It's called Fast Food Nation. Um, And it didn't make me go vegan, but it really started making me think about, you know, the environment or food choices. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I guess it was about 11 years ago that I went vegan. So I... You know, I'd been vegetarian in high school and then I don't know what I didn't do it properly. And then after that, I started eating meat again for a little bit. In my early 20s. What do you mean you didn't do it properly? Um, I just ate a lot of cheese and right. like I was not healthy and I probably ate things that, you know, I ate like Caesar salad, which technically isn't even sure. vegetarian. So, okay. yeah, so I didn't really do it properly. And then I started eating like animal products again for a few years. And then when I was like in my early 20s, it was actually my sister and she watched Earthlings, the documentary. Yeah. And then she's like, you have to watch this and we're going vegan. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I watched it, um, most of it. I couldn't get through all of it. And then, yeah, I kind of realized, wow, it was like my eyes were open to a whole other part of the world that I guess deep down, I think we all kind of know about, you know, we shouldn't harm animals. But when you see it all presented in like a documentary like that, it really made me think about my choices. And then I think within like a few days, I went vegan right away. Yeah. And yeah, that was it. So that was, yeah, it's coming up on my 11th year vegan anniversary. How was that process for you? I know it takes some people like a while to like ramp into the full. I guess for me, I'm the kind of person that like when I make a decision or I learn something. In for a diamond like, for a dollar. Yeah. yeah. Like I just. I guess that's maybe <laughs> not always a good thing, but sometimes a really good thing because when I like learn something's wrong or I see the truth about something or what I believe to be the truth, then I can make a decision. 
And for me, it wasn't difficult because I thought about what the animals go through. And it just also made me reflect back like on my life because growing up, like I was lucky to have access to like going um, to the country and like be a lot in nature when I was a kid. But sadly, my uncle was a cattle farmer. So I like grew up learning about animals, but also seeing how they were being treated and abused. Um, And my dad was a hunter. Mm-hmm. So often as a little kid, I would see like, you know, dead ducks, geese in my garage, sometimes yeah. deer. And that really made me think because when I watch movies like The Land Before Time, sure. Bambi, Bambi, yeah. <laughs> Bambi was like, that was my other like real, I was, I don't know, it must have been like five or six. And I know we went to the theater to see it. And when I came home, I just like cried, ran to my room, shut the door and cried. Really? Because I was just so upset by it because yeah. I could understand that like. This was a mom, right? Bambi's mom died and it was like a family. And so, yeah, it just really, I made the connection even at a young age, even though it wasn't until like much later that I acted on that kind of belief. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. And at that point, are you, well, we can get to that after. So yeah. then, and then when did you get into like, yeah, the animal rights side of things then? Um, I guess... Yeah, it wasn't until like quite a few years after being vegan um, because I didn't really know a lot of activists in Winnipeg. I didn't really, yeah, know what was happening. Even I didn't really know any other vegans besides my sister and then later her boyfriend, now husband, went vegan. Um, I kind of went to the Winnipeg Vegan Meetup. So I met like some vegans through that community um, and then kind of through that, I, I also got in touch with the Humane Society and I started doing like their quit stalling campaign. I volunteered for that. What's that all about? Um, well, now I think it's not very effective, but back then it was like the only thing that that there really was to do in terms of animal welfare. So basically they have a campaign, they're still doing it and it's like they wheel around a big pig in a cage kind of showing like pigs in gestation crates right um and then asking basically not that pigs shouldn't be in cages but that they should phase out those gestation crates and it should be more of an open-based like housing for animals so again that's not really what i believe now that's animal welfare i believe in animal liberation um, but that's kind of what i was doing um and then there was kind of a group of us that did some activism, but I was one of the only vegans in that group. So right. it wasn't kind of the activism that I wanted to do. Um, and then I moved out to Halifax. I guess it would have been four or five years ago now. When I moved out there, I like, and I was waiting for the bus one day and I saw this poster and it was this group. Um, I forget what it was even called now. ASAP. I don't remember what it stands for, though. But it was oh. called ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, abolish the status of animals as property. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, wow, because they were definitely more radical and believed in animal rights and animal liberation as opposed to animal welfare. So if not, you know, animal welfare is like, you know, bigger cages asking for animals to be treated better, but right. it still considers animals kind of like as the f- property. The free range kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still like, you know, that belief I mean, it's false because we know that animals aren't property, but under the law, they're considered property. And so if you're just advocating for bigger cages, you're not really going to make any significant changes for animals. It's not getting at the root of the problem, which really is speciesism. So it's like privileging, you know, human lives over animal lives. But I should actually say non-human animal lives because we're all animals. But we often don't think about it like that because... 
you know, our society, we've yeah. been taught to like Very privilege totally. humans as, you know, the number one species, even though we're the ones causing all the destruction in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, okay, back to that. Um, so yeah, I got involved with this group of people. It was really awesome. Um, we started, yeah, doing more campaigns around animal rights, um, you know, doing education, um, some protests, things like that. Um, and then I guess for me, I was always really interested in activism. And then I started doing actually my own radio show on CKDU in Halifax a few years ago. It's like an FM station? Um, yeah, it's like the campus community station in Halifax. Okay, cool. um, so I started doing like a weekly radio show called Vegan Activist Radio. And through that, it like really propelled my activism even further because I got to do research on a lot of these topics that I had you know, already been thinking about and spending yeah. all this time learning about. Um, and then I got to actually talk about it on the radio. And I had a couple friends co-host with me. And so that was just so awesome. And then one of the people that we interviewed actually was Anita Crank. So she's the co-founder of the Global Save Movement. Okay. So she co-founded that, I believe it was 2007. And so we interviewed her on one of our shows. And that was like really kind of life-changing because I'd known about the Save Movement, but just having her on there and hearing her talk about it really kind of propelled us to do more. Yeah. Because at that time in Halifax, there wasn't really a lot of activism happening um, either in terms of people being on the ground at the front lines. So we started a save group in Halifax called um, Nova Scotia Farm Animal Save. Okay. And so the purpose of that was to bear witness and hold vigils to animals um, in places where they're being abused or, you know, at slaughterhouses. So we started going to an auction house out um, in Truro, Nova Scotia, which is just about an hour outside of Halifax. And so we started... Um, holding vigils there and bearing witness to the animals that were being bought and sold at this auction, documenting the abuse because those places are horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, we've saw baby cows with their umbilical cords still hanging out. Like they were days old, really? being shuffled around a ring, um, people laughing at them, people throwing s like pop cans, beer cans at them. Yeah. We saw dairy cows being like loaded on trucks, being abused, who are on their way to Ontario. So this is from Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. So just horrific, horrific stuff. Um, so we were there. Maybe we got in about four or five times before they kicked us out. <laughs> so they figured out what we were doing. Um, but a lot of it was just being able, we just wanted to spend time with the animals to give them, you know, a little bit of peace and comfort because... It's just horrible. Like some of the cows that they would bring there, you we didn't know how long they'd been there. Maybe 24 hours, maybe 48 hours in these big pens outside. Yeah. With nowhere to, like it was a big overall pen, but then they were all crammed into these smaller pens. They couldn't move around. They were covered in their own feces, had no water, no food. It was just really, really horrible. And obviously they don't want the public seeing this because this is, this yeah. is where people's, you know, what they call food comes from is from the suffering of these animals. So, yeah, we started doing that. And then after we got kicked out of there, we were like, you know, holding vigil outside of the gates of the auction house um, and still trying to like capture footage of, you know, cruelty because people would buy baby cows and put them in the back of their trucks in like a little box or something. It's yeah. just, you know, horrible, horrible stuff. And it's just we've become so desensitized to animal abuse that people don't even think it's abuse. And so... You know, one of the main reasons that the Save Movement exists is to really shed light on the animal, on animals' lives, on their stories. But it's really also to offer love and compassion to animals in their final moments. 
So yeah. it's basically thinking about, you know, if you were that person, you know, about to be murdered, what would yeah. you want? How would you want to be treated? You know, how would you want to be remembered? So it's it's pretty difficult. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's difficult work being an activist, but it's much more difficult for the animals and what they go through. Um, and it's on such a mass scale. It's by the billions, you know, and then the sea animals are murdered by the trillions each year. So, yeah. Yeah. And most of them are just thrown back into, right? Yeah. A lot of it's bycatch, you know, it's, and our oceans are going to be empty soon. And, you know, even, I don't know if you were following that story about the orcas and the yeah. carrying the baby yeah. calf. Oh God. Um, and it just really speaks to kind of the state of the oceans because there hasn't been any calves that have really survived, I think, in the past. I, I mean, don't don't quote me on this. Like, I don't remember yeah, exactly no. what the article said, but I read, th- you know, I was following the story and reading some articles, but there haven't been any like calves that have survived in the past. I think it's three to five, three or five years, something like that. So it's just, you know, devastation all around land animals, sea animals. And <laughs> we're kind of at our, you know, last Humans aren't doing that great either, which people aren't realizing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's uh, all part of the same package. Yeah, and I guess yeah, for me, it's it isn't just about animal rights activism. Like, it's I started kind of as an environmentalist. I would say that's really what I cared about a lot as a kid. That's what I went to school for university. My first degree was environmental studies, and now I my professional job is like working with youth and supporting folks um, experiencing homelessness. Yeah. So there's definitely a many elements to your activism. Yes. Definitely. So where did the save movement start? It's an international thing, isn't it? Yeah. So that started in Toronto with Anita crank. Um, so she was a professor, I think, I don't know if it was the U of T or York University. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but she was a professor. Like, she studied social movements. She did a lot of reading, you know, Leo Tolstoy, Mahat, Mahat Gandhi, um, and Martin Luther King, yeah. people like that, who um, really did a lot of nonviolent activism and really wrote a lot about social movements and how we can bring more peace and love to the world. And so her story kind of goes um, that she was walking her dog, a rescue dog, past the slaughterhouse every day in downtown Toronto. And she kind of saw like what was happening and the need to really bear witness to these animals. So it kind of grew from there, just from her own very personal experience of seeing these animals and realizing that you know, we need to do more. And it's kind of based around this Leo Tolstoy quote. And this isn't the correct quote, but it just, it basically goes like when you see suffering of another creature, you don't want to flee away from that suffering. You want to go closer to that suffering and try to help and try to do something. And so that's really where this came from. This idea of the save movement um, is that we bear witness because like I mentioned earlier, it's about offering like love and compassion in final moments of animals' lives, but also raising awareness about what happens, about, you know, their stories and about, yeah, the devastation of animal agriculture and factory farming. And, you know, the slaughterhouse journey for most animals is like out of their, I mean, their entire lives are torture basically, but the, the journey to the slaughterhouse is probably one of the most terrifying parts of their lives because they've, a lot of them have never seen sunlight, never been outside, 
they don't know what's happening. So they're on this like truck, this metal box. Yeah. And they don't know where they're going or what's happening. Like I can't even imagine what that would, you know, how horrible that would feel. And in Canada, we have like the worst animal transport laws in the Western world. So yeah, they can see outside. So they know they're going somewhere. They know right? they're going somewhere. Right. And there's the fear. Right. And I'm sure as they approach the slaughterhouse, they probably smell the blood. You know, yeah. they, they can tell the fear like because we've uh, bore witness at Maple Leaf Foods um, in Brandon. And in the summer, sometimes there'll be like a lineup of trucks because it's truck after truck after truck of pigs. Yeah. And you can hear them screaming because they know something's about to happen. They're yeah. so intelligent. They know. So like it's it's just so, so horrible what happens. And so, I mean, the very least that we can do, right, is try to bear witness to that suffering if we're not actively trying to like get the animals out of those trucks. Um, although, you know, there is rescue that does happen, animal rescue. I know people have negotiated with slaughterhouses, with auction houses to try to rescue some animals. Really? Um, yeah. And, and they go to sanctuaries. Um, there are a fair amount of sanctuaries, but nearly not enough compared to the yeah. farms, right? And the amount of care that it takes to care for an individual, right, is it's a lot. And until we have the infrastructure in place, you know, we need to flip it from being farms and turn them into sanctuaries. Yeah. And then so at what point do you get back to when did you move back to Winnipeg to start Manitoba? So. Um, so I moved back in may of 2017 um then i connected with an activist that i knew here and we kind of decided that this should happen in manitoba because there wasn't there was some activism happening here through i think it was animal activists in manitoba there's a group um that okay. a young person um judy weeb had started and so ac people were starting to get active in manitoba um and then i really saw the need for having another save group here um, because it was so powerful what we were doing in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Manitoba is, you know, our, our economy is based on the abuse of animals, like so much of it. Right. So if any, you know, this is where yeah, activism needs places. to happen. Of, I mean, it, it's happening everywhere. So I shouldn't say that we're different or more special or worse than anywhere else. Um, but it wasn't happening here, the save movement. So like I saw the need to do that and then, you know, met some like minded folks and we really built this together. Like it wasn't me, like we all kind of, you know, did it together um, because people really wanted to get active. And sometimes you just need someone who's like the catalyst. And that's maybe how I see myself more as like the catalyst who is just like, OK, let's do this. And there's people who wanted to do it. Just the first push. yeah. You know, it's just the first little push. And then, you know, now it's grown to such a community. Um, it's such a movement that you know, we're all growing together. Um, so it's just been really an amazing experience as difficult as it has been, but it's been, yeah, about a year and a half now. Yeah. But positive in its own way. Right. But really positive. Yeah. Because I mean, if anything that comes out of stuff like activism is the community that is created, right? Because we know that we have a lot of work to do and that it's going to take a lot of time to really change things you know, change the property status of animals to really end animal abuse. Yeah. It's going to take a huge long time. It's a huge sure. undertaking. But for us, what we've been able to create is a really amazing supportive community of activists in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. You know, we've come together. We've become friends. We support each other. And we're helping each other grow in our own activism and as a group. And we're building, you know, an even stronger community. And more activists are joining us all the time. 
I think we're having more impact for animals. Although, I mean, it's hard to measure, right? Um, yeah. But I think in terms of awareness and, you know, there's small actions that, you know, individual activists can take that are that are they are taking and then as well as our group that I think are having an impact for animals. So that's been probably the most rewarding and powerful part about all of, you know, this experience for me. Okay. Can you talk a bit about the type of work you guys have been doing in Manitoba? Yeah, for sure. Um, so last year when we started uh, Manitoba Animal Save, our primary focus was on like bearing witness. So we were trying to find places um, in Winnipeg around Manitoba where animals were being abused, where they were being transported um, so we could bear witness. So then we organized what's called a vigil. Um, it's kind of that's what it's called across the save movement. Um, so a vigil just means a place where like activists gather um, where animals are being abused. Um, so we started gathering like around Headingley, Manitoba, because it's right near highway number one, which right. a lot of animals are transported down that highway. So we began bearing witness out there um, to pigs and gathering footage. And then we went out to Maple Leaf Foods last summer in Brandon. In Brandon. Yeah. And um, we were trying to we did stop some slaughterhouse trucks so we could spend some time with the animals offer them water, um, bear witness, capture some footage around, you know, cruelty. Yeah. Because like I said before, the animal transport laws, they should like, there aren't really, I, I shouldn't even say it, they're not laws. They're just like guidelines based yeah. on the Animal Care Act, which no one really follows. And there's violations all the time. And we've reported these violations to the CFIA, but they don't do anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> what type of reaction do you get from you know, staff at the slaughterhouse as well as truck drivers? When um, it's been mixed. Um, it's obviously we realize we're engaging in acts of like civil disobedience. It's a little dangerous yeah. trying to stop slaughterhouse trucks. But at the same time, we believe we have a moral obligation. We believe that animals are not property and sometimes the laws are wrong. Right. And we're not trying to really interfere with business. We're just trying to offer moments of peace and, you know, and love and compassion to these, not even peace, just offering some love and compassion to these animals because there's no peace but where they're going. Um, and we've tried to, you know, talk to the slaughterhouses about what we're doing, why we're doing it, to allow us a few minutes to bear witness, and they won't. Yeah. Um, across the world, though, like, I know in Toronto and other cities, like, you know, London, Ontario, they've been effective at putting slaughterhouse agreements in place with the slaughterhouses, so they will allow the trucks to stop. And police even support that and trying to do it safely right. because people do recognize that like this is horrible what happens and all we want is a few moments. Activists are not going away. Yeah. We just have a lot more work to do in Manitoba. I think people are very resistant because for so many years there, like I said, there wasn't a lot of activism here. Yeah. And so this is very new and I think people don't really know to react <coughs> and I think they're afraid. They're afraid of what the public will think because people are already, you know, so many more people are going vegan um, it is ramping up, isn't they're it? They're ditching dairy. Like they see animal abuse as a bad thing. They see people know that slaughterhouses are horrible places, even if they're still participating in, you know, eating animals. Yeah. So people are starting to make that connection. Um, so and then but, you know, there has been some times where truck drivers have stopped for us, like just because they understand what we're doing. And it's, you know, and. We have these signs that say no hate for truckers, only love for the animals. Right. Because it's true. Like, I get that some people are doing that for a job. I mean, obviously, we wish they would do different jobs. And there's like slaughterhouse support worker helpline numbers that we try to pass out to slaughterhouse workers. Yeah. We put posters up and stuff. 
because we recognize that these people are doing a job. Um, you know, we wish that they would, you know, make a different choice. But again, it's we're not directing any, you know, hate towards any people because mm-hmm. um, part of the save movement is that you show compassion to everyone, even people who maybe you think don't deserve it. But I think everyone does deserve compassion and that I, I have to believe that everyone can change. And I do believe that because that's what activism is about, right? It's about hope yeah, and hoping that, you know, people can lay down their weapons. And in this case, the weapon is, you know, the slaughterhouse trucks, not driving yeah. these animals to these places, not taking them to their deaths. You feel like veganism is on the rise right now? I do. Um, I really do. And there are studies that show that veganism is on the rise, but at the same time around the world, meat consumption is also going up in some places. So we have a lot of work to do. And what alarms me is that our governments are still subsidizing the dairy industry. Yeah. The, you know, animal, I call it the animal abuse (laughs) industries. Um, (laughs) So, you know, animal agriculture, they're still subsidizing farmers like, Animal farmers, That's animal a abusers. Big part of the economy, I guess, right? And so, if our government continues to subsidize these industries, any gains that we were making in veganism, you know, it kind of negates yeah. it in a sense because. So that's why, for me, like, the goal of my activism is not to make people go vegan. It's broader, right? It's bigger than that. We, because if you do activism, eventually people will have to go vegan because you know, the property laws will change and animals won't be considered property or will just be more of a societal shift in terms of thinking, in terms of, you know, political will and that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of people, you know, talk about veganism as like the solution to everything. And it's good. And it's, but it's literally the least that we can do as human beings is because veganism just means not participating in violence. Right. You're neutral. Yeah, essentially. I mean... So your goals are actually to encourage more activists. Yes. Right. That's that's my personal goal. And I know some of the movements that, you know, I belong to. So like the Save Movement, um, DXE, so Direct Action Everywhere. Like our goal is to create more activists in the world because we need people who are willing to stand up for animals, even if you're not vegan yet, because you will go vegan because there have been people who've joined our group who yeah. weren't vegan. Really? But because they come to the slaughterhouses, they, you know, are around other activists, they become vegan. Mm-hmm. And then they're such more powerful advocates because they've learned, you know, or or they've come to realize why it's so important to be vegan, but also even more importantly, to get out there and stand up for animals in public ways. Because once the public sees more and more people willing to stand up for animals, it doesn't, it becomes more of like a just normal thing instead of just like, oh, those crazy activists, like what are they protesting, you know? It's so easy to ignore, you know, people, but the more and more that they see us, like and that's why we go to Dunright. So Dunright is in Winnipeg on yep. Hamlin. We go there every two weeks and we protest outside their storefront on Saturday mornings because they have a factory outlet where people go to buy the dead, you know, dead oh, bodies of the chickens that are slaughtered there. Right. So we go every two weeks and we've been doing that since the summer. And I think it's a really powerful form of activism because people, you know, they see us, they recognize they it's not like we're trying to shame people, but when they go there, they don't even want to look at us because they know. They it's have like to think about it. They have to think about it and people don't want to think about it. And, you know, we're always very polite and kind because our goal is just to offer people support. 
Yeah. You know, like, hey, you don't need to shop here. Here's some vegan education leaflets. Here's some information about where you can get, you know, vegan chicken, you know, right. <laughs> like, you know, you don't need to buy this stuff. And so we really just want to talk to people um, and raise awareness at these places because that's where we have to stop. Yeah. You know? What type of reaction do you get from the public? I mean, I'm sure it's mixed, but. Yeah, it's mixed. Um, sometimes it's very positive. People are willing to talk to us. They'll take our information. Um, a lot of times they just won't even look at us. Right. Um, other times it's very angry, right? Um, other times it's like people making fun of us. So it's a bunch of different reactions. And I'm not surprised at any of those. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> maybe this sounds odd, but I think people have the stronger reactions like even the anger ones are the people who we might reach on a deeper level in some ways. Because, That's interesting. You know, like I think deep down, I think everyone does know um, that abusing animals is wrong because we know that abuse is wrong. Like violence is wrong. We yeah. know that th it really is not acceptable unless it's like extreme cases where you're defending your life or something like that. Right. But other than that, like it's kind of like, we go by the golden rule of where you don't do harm to other people because you don't want harm done to yourself. Yeah. And so I think deep down, everyone does know that is just reminding people of that. What do you think is the disconnect that? Cause like I, I would never claim vegan, but my diet's pretty plant-based yeah. at this point. And people all the time will be like, you really oh, good for you. Like good for you. I'm like, if yeah. you think that, <laughs> then why it's funny. It's like, I almost like, totally. It, I can almost respect somebody that like talks down to me and thinks that's ridiculous. Cause it makes sense to them that they're eating meat, but I don't understand the amount of people that think it's positive or feel bad about what they're doing, but they don't, you, you know, don't make that connection. Yeah. Like what's like, how do you make that leap? Well, we know there's this thing called cognitive dissonance. Right. So basically when that means is just, your brain employs these like protection mechanisms to allow you not to really deeply think or feel or connect with what's essentially the truth or it's things that, you know, are painful. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of those cases, it's like people are not at that place where they can deal with that pain. Yeah. Or that even though it's not about us, right? Cause it's about the animals, but I have to say like, it is difficult and I can understand that if you're raised in some way and you believe something about how society is, mm -hmm. you know, and food, I think too, is so tricky because it's like so personal, right? You eat food every day. You need food to survive. Yeah. And we're taught that animal products are food. And like, I don't even call it food anymore. Like, that's why I try not to even say meat because it's like these euphemisms or like beef, right? Or pork. Right. Um, but it's like animals bodies. Like it's so for me, it's like people don't want to allow themselves to fully grasp the reality of what they're participating in. Because I think maybe they don't want to think about yeah. what the animals go through in the pain because they think that they can't handle it personally. But I think people can. We're a lot stronger than we often give ourselves credit for. But I think it's just having the right amount of support um, and really recognizing that it's not about you. Yeah. It's literally the least that you can do. But I think in our society, too, we're taught so much, you know, about me, 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 you know, the individual is the most important, even yeah. though it's we're not right. We're just we're all we're all important, but we all are in this system, you know, this ecosystem together and that all of our interests matter. So I think, yeah, for those people that might be listening, <laughs> I would just say to them, you know, like 
you can do it. And, you know, if you can put aside your own discomfort or sit with that discomfort, because it's not a comfortable thing. No. It's it's horrible to think about. And I totally get that. And I feel you, you know, like that's why we try to offer, like I said, compassion to humans, too, because mm-hmm. it is a difficult thing. But ultimately, it's really not at the same time because going vegan is actually pretty easy. It just requires a little. Especially now, right? There's oh, my def- God. Yeah. Like, like I know some folks who've been vegan 20, 25 years. And back then it was like, you yeah, know, they, t- they tell me <laughs> it was like powdered soy milk, you know, and oh you're mixing God. with water. <laughs> and like when I went vegan, it was only we had like soy milk and rice milk. And like the, the vegan cheese was like basically non-existent. It was like a block of tofu that was flavored. Yeah. Didn't melt. It was terrible. But when you think about it, it's not about you. And there's so many like I learned how to cook basically when I went vegan because you kind of needed it to forced me to yeah learn how to get nutrients in other ways. And I find that, oh, my God, it's so much better. Like, I love what I eat now. It's delicious. Yeah. And there's um, a whole world of flavors out there that people just yes. tend not to get because they're eating pork chops. Like. Exactly. Like spices. Like, oh, my God, I learned about all these different <laughs> spices. And you know how you can flavor foods in different ways. And it actually, like, it's such a positive thing when you think about it. I mean, it is also neutral, like we talked about. Like, it's the least that you can do to not participate in violence. But if you want to look at it in, like, another way of it's, you know, good for your health, good for the environment you'll feel better your food tastes better and you're not harming animals just to survive yeah. you know i did read one study that said i think at this point it's two percent of canadians <laughs> identify as vegan but ten percent of millennials so that's like yeah that's quite uh, yeah an increase it's huge um and that's kind of what i mean i don't i don't know any i haven't done any person studies personally on this myself but just what i see yeah is that a lot more younger folks are going vegan they're way more receptive to veganism, yeah. um, especially when we're doing outreach. And even people that aren't vegan per se, I think like it's becoming like a, just like a vegan meal is like a lot more acceptable or like a cool thing to do. Like they, it seems like it's kind of catching on. They're opening up to it a bit more. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, there's a lot of younger activists that join us all the time. Not that there's not activists of all ages, all ages but yeah. Definitely the younger, younger folks. Um, and that's why we do like tabling. I'll go back to the other things that we do with Mantum Animal Save. And like one of them is tabling and education and outreach. So we set up tables at like universities, like in public locations yep. and do outreach with people around, you know, veganism, activism, you know, animal rights, things like that. Um, because it's really important to also do those things to offer, you know, positive support to people. Yeah. Um, and I know activists really like doing that, too, because it, it can be, you know, hard on you if you're just going to slaughterhouses or seeing animal abuse all the time. So to have like positive conversations yep. um, and then we do some activism in other ways, like called Earthlings Experience, where we hold like footage of the, like, the hold laptops. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you guys at Nuit Blanche, I think. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because you guys have like the, the Guy Fox masks, are they? Yeah. So what's the idea behind that? Um, well, there's a couple. So there's two different groups. Like I'm not really involved with either of them um, besides like supporting their activism. Um, but there's the Earthlings Experience Winnipeg. So that's some activists that organize, you know, the Earthlings Experience. Well, they'll wear like white masks and hold okay. uh, footage um, of Earthlings, the movie that I talked about. Yep. Um, and then pass out education and leaflets and have conversations with people. And it's a really amazing piece of act, like way of doing activism because it's eye catching for one thing. Yeah. And people are just pretty receptive to that. They're curious about it. And p- people have had a really lot of good conversations through that. 
And then there's also anonymous for the voiceless. So that's called the cue of truth. And so that's where they wear the Guy Fawkes masks. Okay. Um, and that was started in Australia and it's kind of coordinated around the world. So there's like over 500 different anonymous for the voiceless chapters. So it's all, it's very similar to Earthlings experience or that type of activism. It's just street outreach type of activism. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very, very effective. It happens all around the world and so yeah. the, is the, the like the prime primary idea behind the mask to just kind of maintain the anonymity of the yeah. activists? Okay. Um, because it's not about us, right? We want yeah. people to focus on seeing the footage. And then, you know, if people approach us, then we have people doing outreach that will talk to them and start conversations. But even if people just want to come and look at the, you know, the computer screens and watch that. Yeah. Because for, for some people, it's the first time they've ever seen anything like that. Right. You know, they've never seen animal abuse. And if you're not following like vegan or activist pages on Facebook, you're not seeing that stuff because the mainstream media isn't showing you that stuff. No. And unless you're searching it out, yeah, where are you seeing it, right? It. And I think a lot of people don't want to see it at the same time. Yeah. And it, it is out there. If, you know, if you're into that, you'll see it on your feed. But if you don't put that into your echo chamber, then yeah, it might not reach you. Exactly. And we think that, you know, everyone has the right to be able to see that footage and to really know the truth about, you know, how, you know, animals go from, you know, a living, breathing being to yeah. a piece of, you know, flesh in a styrofoam package at the grocery store. Yeah. There's a whole process that happens. And, you know, if you're eating those things then you really need to understand what you're participating in, because that's the thing that I also I think it's so difficult for people to really make that change too is that they don't really want to fully grasp the reality that they are participating in that. If you're buying it, you're paying for it. You might not be the one wielding the knife, yeah, or the stun you, gun, but you're still behind it. But you're still partly responsible for it. And you know, it's not like I want people to feel guilty or bad saying that, but I think they do. And so that's why the really the only way to get rid of that guilt or that shame that you might feel is to go vegan and to stop participating in it like right. immediately. And it's like there's that quote. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's like, don't be sorry. Do something. Yeah. Signed the animals <laughs> 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 because it's so true. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you can be sorry and feel guilty and feel remorse, but there's no sense in living in that type of, you know, shame-filled existence when you can do something about it because i wasn't born vegan most of the activists i know weren't born vegan some of them were vegetarian from birth which is really cool um but the reality is yeah i participated in it too yeah most of us have in our lives if you know you're my age or older or younger even you know and the only thing we can really do is make amends and move forward so what do you say because i'm sure you have to feel these questions all the time like you'll definitely get that one guy's like oh so you, you think you're a vegan man like you know there's there's animal products in the tires of your car and the adhesives in your cell phone like what do you say about that like what like yeah where do you come up from that i mean it's it's tricky and it's the reality that yeah. um there are animal products in a lot of things like tires in our cars bike tires yeah, yeah i think gasoline right like things right. like that oil um Veganism is really about doing the absolute best that you can to not ca cause harm to anyone. Harm reduction. Yeah, harm yeah. reduction. And, and I don't mean that by saying like, well, I'm just going to maybe have dairy once. In yeah. A while. Like that. No, that's not what I mean. Uh, what I mean is like when you commit to veganism, it's like 
it's not just a lifestyle. It's like a political statement. It's, you know, it's about nonviolence and it is about doing the best you can. I realize that there's these like little quagmires, right? That there's, you know, we can't really do anything about that at this point, except keep hoping and trying to push for more plant-based options Mm -hmm. everywhere. Right. And maybe one day, I think there is a vegan car like Tesla's making, making a vegan car. I haven't heard of that. Um, so Hopefully, you know, these types of things will keep spreading through the world and that we can rely less and less on maybe animal yeah. products in some of those well, situations. Well, as it becomes a demand for this, for those yeah. products, then the products will appear, I guess. Exactly. And so, yeah. it. But I mean, yeah, there's we always get those types of yeah. kind of comments, you know, like religion. We call it like... Um, it's like plants though, religion though. Yeah. Um, the vegan sidekick, if people should really look that up. Um, he's so great at kind of talking about some of these different issues and like the excuses that people make. And he, he does this very, is there a website or it's a website, but it's a comic. And okay. so I think he's from the UK, the UK. Yeah. It's hilarious because he kind of points out some of the really ridiculous, um, things that people will say to like dissuade from veganism or animal rights or activism. Yeah. It just points out kind of how ridiculous it is. Ridiculous it is. Cause it's talking about like, Oh, you know, it's wrong to stab a pig, but, or no, a dog, but I'm going to go stab this pig. Yeah. Oh, that's okay though. You know? And it's like, no, it's not okay, but we've become accustomed to it. So he does a really good job of kind of pointing out kind of the hypocrisy in a lot of these, yeah. um, comebacks or whatever you want to call it comments that people will make against veganism and really i would have to say there isn't really there isn't really anything you can say against veganism why you shouldn't do it no um because now we like eating plants is healthier for you it causes less harm literally animals are being murdered so if you're advocating against veganism i I like beef that's your only move like Like, yeah you're advocating for animals to be abused and i and i know that's not what people really want but that's how it's coming across if you're doing that. But really it goes back to what we talked about before and people are just uncomfortable with the discomfort. Yeah. (laughs) And so they try to say all these things to try to somehow justify their participation in it, even though it would be so much easier to just say, no, I'm not going to participate in this. Yeah. Um, and then what about like, you know, it's, it's very easy. You know, I, I think you'd have to be blind to say, you don't see anything wrong with the factory farm, but you know, so you, someone that's going to say like, you know, is there levels like, you know, versus you've mentioned like your uncle is a hunter or anything. Is that less evil than a factory farm? Is factory farming the bigger problem or like, what do you say? You know, well, it's, just, it's the way of nature, bro. Lions, tigers and bears, bro. Like it's, yeah, I personally, like, I think it's all a problem. I don't think we can really make those comparisons like on the grand scale, like yes, factory farming, murders billions of animals a year where hunters maybe only murder thousands of animals or something. But if you look at it from just the speciesist perspective that it's murder. So this is always where I go back to. If you're taking a life that doesn't want to end, it's called murder. It doesn't matter if it's a human or an animal. So if you're hunting, you're still participating in murder. You're destroying families. You're destroying a life that wanted to live. It's, I mean, and that's the thing where we, I, you know, kind of go back to every individual's life matters. Every animal matters. Every human matters. And it's, I know it's difficult for people to think about that on such like a large scale, but hunting is no better than the factory farms. Like, and I know people, uh, you know, say like, oh, the small family farms or humane meat. It's all BS because yeah. 
it doesn't matter. In a way, to me, like people who claim to raise humane meat, it's almost worse because it's like you're treating animals maybe a little better than the factory farms. And so they're you're building this relationship it's or the trust with them. It's the same kind of thing, though, right? And then like, you're murdering them. If you can, yeah. If you if, if you can see that you need to treat them that way, then it seems odd that you'd want right? to treat them. Right. And at then the same you still time. justify yeah. somehow murdering them, even though it makes no sense because we don't need animal products to survive. So to me, it's almost like those people have even stronger cognitive dissonance because I guarantee you, the factory farm people, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing is wrong. But these like farmers or people that claim like humane meat right. or hum- free range this or grass fed this, that, you know, it's all a bunch of crap. Like it's just it's lies that people tell themselves and tell the public to justify animal product consumption when it's really so unnecessary. Yeah. It's one of my big, big like. Pet <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it just for me, it also shows me, you know, like we have to have compassion I have to have compassion for those people too because they obviously hold some very deeply rooted beliefs about that are ingrained in speciesism that they believe, you know, humans have more of a right to eat animals' bodies than animals have to their own lives. If you really think about that for a moment, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like how can we justify this? And on a mass scale. But, and then I think it's Gary Urofsky who talks about like animals have been victimized to such a degree that they're not even victims anymore. Like how so? Um, because basically animals are just, they're not considered at all. Like their interests are not considered and right. they are the, you know, like we were talked about before, like billions, like I think it's like a hundred billion land animals and two trillion sea animals. And they're victimized, you know, to such a degree, every single moment like of their life is torture. Yeah. Annually. That's crazy. Annually. Yeah. And every single moment of their life is torture. They are, they are victims and yet... You know, it's just hidden away in these factory farms in the countryside. It's hidden away in these factories right in the middle of our own city at Denright, right? Yeah. They cover these trucks with tarps so you can't see the chickens suffering in them. And then they pull them in behind a gated fence and have all these private property, no trespassing signs. Well, why? Because people don't want to see, they don't want people to see these animals' lives because then people will realize that they are victims and that... They are innocent, and we have to do something about it. Yeah, their business model definitely depends on the storyline, right? Yeah. The farmhouse and the pasture and this pretty well, little place. But You know, look at all the ads that you see around the city, right? Yeah. Like, what is it for? Animal products? You know, you see pizza ads. You see, um, you know, even Cabela's has new ads about hunting. There's, you know, Manitoba pork, Manitoba egg producers, Canadian dairy farmers. Yeah. Where's the vegetable ads, right? Like they're not there. And it's because they depend on the public thinking that these things are okay. So they try to construct this message of like, you know, oh, it's okay to eat these products. You know, even Bothwell Cheese recently, someone posted something about how they're trying to like rebrand and market like, oh, this is 100%, you know, Canadian farmers and Mm -hmm. like, you know, no, no hormones and no antibiotics. Like they're trying to use all these buzzwords that people like, think are important but it's just brainwashing it's all it is is brainwashing and it's like people don't realize like they're just making these companies rich off the backs of animal abuse there's so much money behind that machine it's so much money and that's why i think a lot of people it seems like a daunting task right to get involved in animal rights activism or to try to take on these corporations and the animal agriculture industry because they're all in the pockets of the government too, right? Yeah. And the government is in the pockets of these companies. And so it seems like such a big task, but, you know, 
who is it? Is it Margaret Mead? That's the quote of like, you know, never doubt that a small group of citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that does because it's true. All it takes is like one person or two people and then five people and then 10 people and then 100 people to like stand up and do something. It's got to be through the people, I think, because you can't, you know, you're not going to make them budge. I read this is an older story, probably about a decade ago, but I think you'll know what I mean. Probably I think it was North Carolina and they pig farm and they lost a huge lawsuit because they polluted the whole water table Mm -hmm. and it was like 300 million dollars or something and then it said it took them 18 hours to recoup the money yeah like it's like how are you gonna yeah so it's a little blip and when there's so much money behind it and because of the legal you know yeah the legal loophole or just (laughs) the laws are horrible animals are considered property so it's like you could get in more trouble for you know, stealing someone's pen than you would like killing your own dog, like literally killing your own dog and eating it. Like that's how backwards these things are, are laws. Right. And so when the law is wrong, you know, sometimes the only way that we have is by citizens demanding change. And the only way we can demand that is by people not being afraid to stand up. And that's why it's like, I consider it almost like a privilege to be able to be an activist Um, and not be persecuted to the extent that activists are in some other countries, but also just to be able to, you know, know other activists, know other people who are not afraid to stand up, who aren't afraid to, like, do something about this. Um, Because it is, it can be so daunting. And that's why I think for, like, new vegans or people who want to get involved in activism, it's so important to find a community. So please come join us. (laughs) How can they people find you if they are interested? Yeah, so we're on social media. so Manitoba by Animal Save is our main save group. We also started another save group last year, last April, called Winnipeg Chicken Save. Okay. And so that is really focused around done right and raising awareness about chickens because chickens are the most abused land animal in the world. Yeah, I believe it. Um, and even just so at done right alone, there's 300,000 baby chickens. So they're like around six months old or less that are murdered each week. So it's 1.2 million chickens a month. One factory. One factory. That's only one, right? Yeah. Um, so these huge, huge numbers. So part of our goal with Winnipeg Chicken Save is to really raise awareness about this, to shut these places down. We know it's going to take some time, but, yeah. you know, it's just horrific how these animals are treated, how they're transported. You know, chickens are, like, shackled. Their throats are slit. Like, it's just horrific. Like, can you even imagine? Like, that's – I would not want to die like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I read a report because I think Dunright asked for funding from the government so that has to get yeah. published online. And yeah, yeah, it describes the process where they're and it yeah. just sounds terrible. And they're so that's called off the truck, electrocuted, mm-hmm. and then staff will be present to like, yeah, Shackle, end life with a knife if, it do, if an electrocution yeah. doesn't exactly. kill them. And yeah. most of the times it doesn't. And that's the thing that people also maybe think that, okay, okay, so animals... You know, they're going into the slaughterhouse, but at least they're going to be like stunned before they're murdered or something. But it's such a lie. In most cases, animals are often, you know, pigs, especially they're thrown in these scalding tanks. They're still alive. Cows are skinned and dismembered alive all the time. And so even if people think that, you know, oh, animals, you know, we have these laws to protect them. There's provincial vets that are in these slaughterhouses. They're not doing anything. No one is doing anything because there's no legal ramifications. Everyone just gets away with it. And anytime activists have exposed this or try to press charges, barely anything happens. So it's just, it's so sometimes so frustrating because all these systems work together yeah. to like protect animal abusers and to continue this system of animal abuse. Even though I think 
if people really thought about it for a moment, we could actually grow our economy and provide more jobs for people by, you know, transitioning to plant-based farming, to transitioning, you know, to like turning slaughterhouse factories into, you know, plant processing plants. You know what I mean? (laughs) Turning some of the farms into sanctuaries for animals, like letting the land go back to to normal. Because right now it's like, Animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of environmental destruction and degradation. Which is hilarious that everybody <laughs> wants to buy a Jetta, and, but no one's talking about that. Exactly. Right? No one wants to face Even up to environmentalists, that. right? Yeah. Like the movie Cowspiracy, I really urge people to watch it. It's like, it, so that movie um, is made by Kip Kalin. K- I don't, oh crap. Sorry. I don't remember his it's last Cowspiracy. name. Cowspiracy. We don't. Um, it's <laughs> Cowspiracy. Um, and so that ma- movie was basically made around this like big secret that the environmental environmental industry is high not even hiding but they they refuse to acknowledge that animal agriculture is like the leading cause of like environmental destruction like global warming like you know land degradation water pollution all of these things but no one wants to say it yeah and everyone wants to blame it all on the oil companies and i'm not saying that they're like that's horrible too and they you know yeah it's horrible what happens there you know the fracking the stealing of indigenous land to pollute it and destroy destroy it it's horrible Um, But animal agriculture is also one of the major, major culprits. And we don't talk about it. Like there isn't an environmental group that I can even think of in Winnipeg or in Manitoba that is actually has a statement around that. That like that is saying like, oh, we're vegan. We have a vegan public policy. None. Yeah. Because people don't want to like face the fact we want to. And I get that people want to like protect farmers and protect jobs. But like, I guess I'm asking those people, like, why can't we just switch to plant-based alternatives instead of continuing this cycle of animal abuse and environmental destruction. Yeah. It's got to start with the people, I guess. Yeah. And you know, I'm not, yeah, there are lots of amazing people working in so many different areas, you know, to protect the environment, to help other fellow humans, to help animals. And I know it's all important. And I guess our goal too, through Manitoba Animal Save is really to work with everyone to try to really bridge gaps across movements um, because for us it is important you know animal earth human liberation Um, it's about non-violence and anti-oppression across all spectrums right so we don't we stand against racism we stand against sexism we stand against homophobia you know all those types of things too right Um, because we recognize how it's all connected how all these forms of oppression against animals how can we think that we're going to stop animal abuse if we're still treating people like less than or being racist or sexist yes. you know what i mean and vice versa how can we think that we're gonna stop those things if we're still participating in animal violence right if you're still eating animals and you're fighting for oppression i'm really asking all those people out there to like think about what you might be participating in and trust me i think about it too because i know like i'm not you know i know i'm not perfect i know that there's lots of things that i could be doing better in terms of you know reducing my plastic consumption or products that I use or we know that clothing is made sweatshops there's like this thing um that one of our activists told us about it's like a slavery index so you can look online about how many slaves are working for you how so like you have to like you plug in kind of yeah you input kind of all the things in your life so like do you own a house like do you have kids um like what kind of clothes you have what kind of products do you use like what kind of electronics do you have do you drive a car like all that kind of stuff and so you kind of do you own like jewelry you know things like that so basically you go through your life and look at 
kind of, yeah, how many slaves in the world are working for you right now? Because that's the other thing. Like, there's so much human slavery, and, I mean, that's a whole other issue. A whole other side of cognitive dissonance. But yeah. the, the point is that it's important to recognize these things and how they're connected and to do the best you can in, in as many areas as you can to try to not participate in that and try to fight for freedom for everyone. Yeah, and I think that is where a lot of people get hung up. They're like, well... Like, a bear eats an animal. Like, why can't I eat an animal? But, like, the yeah. thing is, like, a, a bear doesn't have the alternative. And you, people talk about human nature, but I think human nature was not to stay in nature. Like, look, we've pushed everything as far as we can. Mm-hmm. So y- you have this available option to eat a delicious diet and be more healthy exactly. and not cause harm. So, like, why why wouldn't you? And even just our physiology, though, like, to, to really rebut that argument is yeah. that our physiology is designed um, to eat plants optimally. Like our teeth, like we're herbivores. Like our teeth are designed to chew plants. Our stomachs are designed to chew plants. We don't have like, you know, the carnivore teeth. We don't have the same, you know, intestines like carnivores. There's even studies that have shown our early ancestors were vegetarian. So very, very early ancestors. And some, obviously some folks needed to eat meat or animal products like in northern climates yeah, and things like that. And plants, yeah. I even understand that now, right? We have, you know, folks who um, live in the Inuit, right? Um, the Arctic who, you know, rely on subsistence hunting. Yep. And, you know, while I don't agree with taking a life, that's not something that I'm going to go protest. Like, right. those are things that, hey, I, I understand um, people are trying to survive, right? And in the wild, like you said, it's about survival. Yeah. And bears eats plants and animals but there's so many animals that just eat plants yep. you know like gorillas just eat plants elephants just eat plants all these big strong animals just eat plants yeah um and yeah we were designed to eat plants so it's actually that's why like on the other side of things we haven't really talked about is like eating animal products is so bad for human health that it's some of the number leading causes of cancer heart disease diabetes you know all these other physical problems like lactose intolerance like most people in the world are lactose intolerant because our bodies aren't designed to drink milk past a certain age especially not the milk of another species yeah so you know there's all these other arguments that not even arguments it's just facts right Mm -hmm. that kind of show why veganism is just optimal for our health as well as what is the best for the planet and you know obviously not taking an animal's life how have you guys been with mainstream media and since you've launched the group? Um, so for a while, we didn't really get much of a response. So it was quite frustrating. We used to send out a lot of press releases and um, the media just wouldn't respond to us because I guess it's, cold. it's not like a sensational story, right? Because like I said before, when I was talking about how animals are victimized to such a degree, they're not even considered victims. It's kind of the same right. with animal agriculture in Manitoba. It's just like run-of-the-mill everyday business. So mm-hmm. how is this a big deal yeah. or a, What's a news sensational about story? Yeah. So basically you have to create stories that are going to, you know, peak public interest. So this summer, though, we actually had a couple of news stories published in mainstream media. One of them was by Global News because there were some pigs this summer. Um, some activists gathered footage of a pig truck that almost turned over and it was just sitting um, it was so hot out. Whereabouts? Um, it was on Highway Number One near Saint Anne. Okay. Um, and some activists uh, gathered footage there because it was really hot out. 
the truck was just sitting there. The yeah. pigs were suffering. Sweltering. And then um, myself and two other activists, Lara and PJ, we went out to Headingley and we captured some footage of pigs in a truck. Um, and the truck driver actually slammed on the brakes when he saw us coming, so it made all the pigs scream and, like, fall. Um, and so Global News did a story around that, um, just about, you know, giving pigs water and, like, you know, the extreme heat. And then CBC did a story, I guess, because we went out to Maple Leaf Foods the end of July. So CBC did a story around, um, again, pigs and transport in extreme weather. Um, the reason why they published that story is because Maple Leaf Foods said they agreed with us that the condition of the pigs was unacceptable. Okay. But the problem is all these people just pa- pass it off to someone else. Right. You know, blame it on, Maple Leaf blames it on the, the truckers or the transportation company. But yet the provincial vet that works at Maple Leaf approve that shipment of pigs to be slaughtered so no one's being held accountable yeah so by maple leaf like agreeing with us they're basically saying like oh yeah we get it like you know that's not good so we're also pushing for better transport changes you know right but yet they're all implicit in the murder and torture of animals but they all just blame it on each other and i mean i am very grateful that the mainstream media did these stories because it really you know, showcased a little bit about what animals go through. And the CBC article actually went national. So a lot more people were receptive this time to these types of stories. Yeah. Because they do realize that it's wrong. Um, Unfortunately, though, the mainstream media still has not presented stories from the animal's perspective or even from the activist's perspective. They interview a lot of other people. Like, I think I had, like, you know, one sentence in that whole story. And yet all these other animal abusers were given a lot of airtime. Yeah. Um, and they still didn't talk about like really what is the same movement, why we do this, why right. we bear witness, why we're there in the first place. You know, they present it as we're there to capture footage of cruelty. And while that's not, that is not really why we're there at all. Like, yes, that's a good outcome of what we can do is try to capture footage, but we're really there to share animal stories. Like, to share about their lives, to show how wrong this is, to, and really to offer them love and compassion. That's yep. the ultimate reason why we're there, to give them water when it's 40 degrees and they're about to be murdered and they're, like, dying of heat exhaustion and heat stroke already. Because mm-hmm. these trucks, like, we captured. It was 40 degrees inside the truck, and that was only having our thermometer in there for, like, not even 30 seconds because we just couldn't. Um, but it's way hotter in there because it's like a metal box. Yeah. You're literally trapped in a metal box with an inadequate ventilation. We have no idea how long those pigs were on those trucks because in Canada they can be on Do you there. have a laser thermometer? We do now. Okay. We good. do now. We yeah. do now. Are they we great? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't used it yet, but I mean, part of what we're going to hopefully do this winter is capture footage um, and document the extreme temperatures in right. the winter because the it goes both that, ways. Yeah. Um, but the problem is like the Animal Care Act is just it's very vague where it's written because it basically says like you know there's all these conditions that animals should not have to go through during transport so like extreme weather inadequate ventilation but what does it actually mean there's no parameter set around temperatures it doesn't say like oh if it's above 40 degrees you cannot ship animals or if it's you know below minus 30 you cannot ship animals There are none of those parameters. Nothing quantifiable. Anytime we try to, you know, ask the CFIA to do an investigation, to press charges, nothing happens because there's all these loopholes and, you know, the very acts and laws themselves are just so backwards and so behind that the animals literally have no protection. Yeah. No protection. So, I mean, for us to even push for better transport laws, 
is kind of futile, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it would be better for the animals to be treated better while this is still happening. But ultimately, like our goal is to just shut this down completely because it should never happen. Animals should never be in factory farms. They should never be transported. They should never be in the position to be murdered in the first place. And like I said before, I know it's going to take a very long time, um, but we have to we have to talk about these things in like a real way of what we're really trying to do and why it's so important that we, you know, don't push for bigger cages, but for no cages, empty yeah. the cages. Is there anything else you want to get into? Um, I don't know. I guess maybe I just want to like say thank you to like the activists that I work with that we worked together. Um, it's just such a powerful community and like we really all do this together. Like we all bring different strengths and skills to the table. Um, like I do a lot of public speaking, but that's just cause that's my experience and my history and my practice, you know, through school right. and the work that I do. Um, but you know, we have amazing folks that are like, you know, do photography, do videography that organize behind the scenes, the people that come out to our events. Um, like even those folks who just come to events but don't spend any time like organizing like myself and other folks do, like that's just as important. Yeah. Like every little thing that we do for animals is important. And like I guess like I can only do this because of all the amazing people that stand beside me that I stand with um, who do this work as well because it is so difficult. And maybe that is one thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is just like how this can be very traumatic doing activism yeah. why like self-care for activists is so important um the community and the support um it's really important to take care of yourself it's not always you know easy to make time for self-care but if we don't we get burnt out and it has happened to me before i actually wrote a blog about it not too long ago okay do you have a blog i do it's vegan, it. vegan activist network okay um so yeah people can check it out it's just some writing that i've done some resources for people like dot com or yeah vegan activist network dot wordpress dot com okay sorry yeah it's a wordpress website yeah i started a few years ago and um just around my radio show and just some writing that i've done and i post some like letters that i've written and just some blogs and things that i've written um i guess for me that's a way like doing radio and doing writing around yeah. this kind of stuff was also like cathartic for me in a way Sure. So like, like an outlet. talk about these things an yeah. outlet, like a creative outlet to get these things out. Um, because yeah, it can be very traumatic. It can be very difficult work. And yeah, it's just so important that we take care of each other first and foremost. So we can take care, you know, of animals and keep fighting for animals. Um, yeah. And it's just really empowering to be an activist. I also want to say that because I think, for a lot of people, like we were talking about, it can be difficult to make the change to be vegan. But it, I know so many vegans too. Like the Winnipeg vegan community, there's like 2,000 people, but not all those people are activists. Right. Not that, you know, all vegans need to be activists because I think everyone in the world should, should be an be activist vegan. and be <laughs> vegan. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, I always, when I make live videos, I talk about this. It's like, we're not superhuman. We're not like these am amazing people who've j who like, or better than anyone. It's just, we're just people who've made a choice to not give in to like our fear and we're choosing love instead of fear and we're choosing um, to be uncomfortable even though, you know, I don't want to spend my time in a slaughterhouse. Like, I wish I didn't have to do all these things yeah. that I do. I would much rather like be on a beach reading a book, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I have privilege right now in society of being a human instead of, a non-human animal 
So if we have that privilege, we have to use it for good and we have to do something about it. Like I believe we all have a moral obligation to do something about it, even if it's a small thing. Like everyone can do something and everyone can get active and take action. You don't have to be some special person to do it. You know, you just have to be someone who's willing to give up a little bit of your free time yeah. to do this. And anyone can do it. And that's also really what I'd like to say is that, you know, it is possible for anyone to go vegan. Anyone can be an activist. Like we know people that, you know, have been hunters, who've been slaughterhouse workers and they go vegan. Right. And you hear these stories. They're all around the world. Right. And it happens and it's possible. And I guess that's the thing when you know we hear about all these scary things in our world like i got really freaked out last week about those articles about how like you know there's climate catastrophe yeah. gonna happen we only have this many years and you know it, it can be i think daunting to you know read about these things and then or read about the staggering number of animals being abused and yeah. think oh well someone else will deal with it or like what can i do you got to do something you know um because i think that helps with some of that fear or some of that guilt. I don't know. It's changed my life in the best way possible is what I can say, you know, being an activist partly from the community, but also just my own personal like growth as a person of just trying to actually be the person that I want to be and try to live that. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not perfect. You know, I, d I do the best I can. Um, but it's really important that you live like in line with your values. Like you'll just experience a more peaceful existence on this earth because it it is traumatic all these things that you know people encounter every day like day-to-day -day life can sometimes be traumatic you know yeah if you're struggling just to get by if you're homeless you know if you're struggling with poverty if you've you know been assaulted whatever it is right mental health like there's all these things in our lives um and ultimately we just we need to support each other and i do believe that you know we can see a non-violent peaceful world one day but it's just going to take a lot a lot of us and just like i said just the willingness to choose love over fear even when you don't want to because a lot of times i'm still afraid yeah. like it's scary to go stand in front of a slaughterhouse truck you don't always know what's going to happen at a protest but you know you're there for the animals you have people that support you and that's really you know all we can do yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think I talked about all of our social media, so I can go back to that. Um, so, yeah, if people want to get in touch with us. So Manitoba Animal Save on Facebook. Winnipeg Chicken Save on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, Manitoba Animal Save. Um, we're on Twitter. Um, I think it's at MB Animal Save. Um, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Um, what else? And you guys G have been busy. Gmail, manitobanimalsave at gmail.com or winnipegchickensave at gmail.com. Um, so there's lots of ways people can get in touch with us. Um, we're, yeah, pretty accessible on social media. We always want new activists to join us. Uh, we also do like a weekly newsletter. So if people want to like send us their email, then we can put you on our newsletter list. And basically we just send out a weekly email just kind of talking about what we've been doing. We share all the events um, that are happening um, just because not everyone is on social media, right? Yeah, no. I and wasn't. talk about like calls to action. So ways that people can get active for animals on their own, whether it's like writing letters to politicians, signing petitions, right? Um, taking, you know, individual actions, because there's so many things that we can all be doing to help animals. You know, it's called like armchair activism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, I realize not everyone has the capacity 
or the ability to always come out to events in person. But there's lots of ways to like support activists, to support animals. Yeah. Anyways, I really d- appreciate this opportunity to like talk about activism. No, it was great having you. I really enjoyed thank talking you. to you. Yeah, I, I had such a great time. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks.